again. It's great to see everybody. Great to have everybody out. Today, uh, I want to make a statement and ask you what your response to it is. When, when I say the phrase, things are getting better, what is your reaction? Just think about that for a second. Things are getting better. And there are some people, there's, there's several different reactions that happen. You may, you may be an agreer. You may say, yes, I believe that, especially because I've been around long enough that I've heard you preach some of this before. So, so that may be one reaction. And then you may be a disagreer. You may say, man, I'm not seeing that at all. I don't agree with that. And that's okay. That's just what you're feeling, what you're seeing. You, you may be a little bit of a skeptic. Well, I'll believe it if you prove it to me. Anybody know people like that? The skeptics, they're, they're, they're kind of open, but they want to see the evidence. Prove it to me and then I'll believe. There, there are several people that met Jesus that were like that throughout his ministry. I'll believe it if I see it. And then uh, you may be just a qualifier. And what I mean by that is like, well, I, I hear that statement. Things are getting better, but depends on what you're talking about. That's, that's most of us land in that category because we like to hedge our bets and say, well, I'll, I'll think about it some and tell me a little more what you're talking about. It's not bad to be in any one of those groups. We always just need to be open to having a discussion. So when you hear a statement like things are getting better, uh, I'm going to lay out the next few weeks a, a biblical case for why I believe that things are getting better in the world, that Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is expanding on the earth even right now. And I, this, is, this is really important. I'd like to go back every so often and just touch some of these ideas to, to change our mindset and get our thinking around what is Jesus doing and what should we expect to be seeing in the world around us. Uh, it's very important what we're talking about because it, it affects how we see the future and what we expect to happen in the future. Uh, do, you ever, do you ever think about, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you ever do this, but does anybody ever just stop and think about what's the future going to look like? Where am I going to be next week, five years, you know, wherever it is? Like, like when we do that, what are our expectations about the future? Do we spend time fretting? And worrying, like we look around and all we see are bad things and we're like, oh, this is going to be so horrible. Do we, do we get hopeful? Do we get optimistic? Do we make plans? Do we think about our kids? Because this really doesn't just affect us. What we're talking about it affects the coming generations. What's going to happen? What are, what are we expecting and what are we cultivating in the lives of our children and our grandchildren, the people coming after us? What is their outlook going to be about life? And this, as we talk about things are getting better, uh, I'm saying this as a, as a general state of what's going on in the world. And, and we're going to look biblically. We're even going to look at some evidence of what's happening in the world. But this is not discounting that some people go through really hard and difficult times. Has anybody ever met somebody that's going through a hard and difficult time? In, in the middle of a tragedy or, or a really hard situation, they probably don't need you to come next to them and say, hey, things are getting better. You know, I, I know, you know this tragedy just happened in your life. You know, that, there are very real situations that we go through individually, which is why we need each other. That's why we can't isolate ourselves. We need the body to be around us when we go through individual hard times. But as a general rule, we're going to say that things are getting better in the world. There may be ups and downs. Uh, how many of you have ever uh, found that you, you grew, whether physically or spiritually, just in a straight line? You, you just kept going the whole way, man. I, I never had a setback. I never went backwards. It was, just, it was just up, up, up all the way. Probably not. Most, most times in life, there are ups and downs. We, we go a couple steps ahead. We get knocked back a little bit. We keep going ahead. We keep growing. We, maybe we fail a little bit in an area, but we get back on the horse and we grow some more. Growth is rarely ever in a straight line. 
And, and that's what the case we're going to make is there may be ups and downs that we see in the world, but as a general rule, things are improving, things are getting better. And uh, I'm not talking about just this Pollyanna-ish. How many of you know who Pollyanna was? That, that might be something like maybe, maybe my under 30 crowd is like, who the heck is Pollyanna? Uh, it's not optimism and it's not expectation of things getting better just for the sake of being an optimist. It's like, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm just having hope for hope's sake. When, when we talk about having optimism, we're, we're talking about looking at the power of what Jesus accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection and how it really did affect the entire world. Not, not just the world, but the universe for all of time and all of existence. How many of you believe the cross was pretty powerful? All right. I'm, I'm talking to the right group of people, I guess. The, the cross changed things forever. What Jesus did through his life and his death and his resurrection changed things forever. And I'd, I'd like you to put this phrase in your vocabulary. If you haven't ever heard it before or you don't use it, uh, I want to say the word kingdom optimism. Look at, look at your neighbor and say kingdom optimism. How, how many of you have ever said those two words together before in your life? All right, so this, it might be a new phrase for some of us, kingdom optimism. Uh, this is not just hope for hope's sake, but defining kingdom optimism, I would say it this way. Kingdom optimism means I believe that things are getting better because of Jesus. Come on, can I say it that way? This is, this is not just some... some because we all meet people like this. They, they're, they're hopeful about the future, but they don't have anything to really base it on. It's just like, oh, I hope things are going to get better or that it's going to work out. Or, you know, maybe the right people will get elected or the wrong people will get voted out or something will change. I'll get a raise. They're, they're hopeful, but they don't have any basis for it. And as Christians, we have a basis for being hopeful about the future. There, there is a grounding and a foundation for optimism that, that stems off of what Jesus did and the kingdom that he released to us. I believe that Jesus wants things to get better, and he has released the authority to us to see it happen in the world. So, so some of the goals as we're moving through this series, what I would like it to affect is I would like us to become more optimistic in our thinking in, in our speaking or our confession, how many of you love being around people that have a negative confession? Come on, sign, sign me up. We're going we're gonna to have a class on Tuesday nights to learn how to complain and have a negative confession. Anybody want to sign up? No, nobody wants to be around that stuff. We, we need to be optimistic in how we think and how we confess things. And we need to be optimistic about our expectations. What are we looking for? Are we expecting to see Jesus move in our circumstances? Or are we expecting the world to just have its way with us? So if we can do that, if there's anywhere in our, in our thinking, our speaking, or, or our expectations that aren't in line with, hey, Jesus wants things to get better. He wants the kingdom to expand. Then I just want us to adjust our areas. Because if we're negative about any one of those areas, it repels people. Some, sometimes we wonder, why, why aren't more people coming around us? And maybe we're the problem sometimes. Maybe we're negative in how we talk or what we expect to see or how we think about what's going on in the world around us. We, we are supposed to be carriers of good news. Has anybody heard that in church before? It's called the gospel, right? What does the gospel mean? The gospel means good news. We should be people that are known for carrying good news to the world, which is attractive to people, not carriers of bad news. You know, nobody ever said, hey, come to church so we can all complain about how bad things are in the world. Some I don't, they don't advertise it that way, but I've been to churches where maybe that's, that's really what the plan is. We're, we're just going to gather together on Sunday mornings and thank Jesus for us huddling here while we complain about what's going on in the world around us. Oh, my 
I could get in trouble, I guess. I'm, uh, I'm not, no, I'm not going to say that. Um, they're, I'm not going to say it. Thank you. Let's, let's read a verse. That's, I find when, when, I'm, when I'm getting stuff popping into my head that I'm not sure if this is a good thing to say or not. Get back to the Bible. Say, you can say that at any point in the sermon. Get back to the Bible, Pastor Chris. That's the best place to go. Let's read a verse in John chapter 16. We're supposed to be carriers of good news, not telling people how bad things are. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said to his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have met people that read that verse, and the only thing that sticks out to them in that whole verse is, in this world, you will have trouble. It's, it's like you, you think that, that piece of the verse is their life verse. You know, maybe they, they've got shirts made with it, or it's cross-stitched on their pillow, on their couch at home. You know, they go to, they go to take a nap on the couch, and it reminds them, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Come on, have you ever met people that act like that? And they go around, they look at all the bad things that are happening, and they're like, see, Jesus was right. In this world, we're going to have trouble. And they let that drive their expectations. What? Let's look at that verse a little closer. He says, I've told you these things. What things? Did you ever read that verse or hear somebody quote it and wonder, what, what things is Jesus talking about? He had just gotten done, if you read through that chapter, he had just gotten done having a conversation with them saying, I'm going back to the Father now, and he's going to give you anything you ask in my name. And so he comes around to this, this verse here and he says, I told you these things so that you would have hope. So that you wouldn't get down. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't telling them in this world you'll have trouble so that they could expect bad things and just think, oh, well, I hope we can, we can hold on through all these bad things. He was reminding them and us that he gave us power to do something about it. Take heart, be of good courage, whatever translation it says, it's, it's asking us to respond in a way to get up off of where you are and have some courage about this thing. I've overcome the world. In fact, uh, if you read the Amplified Translation of that verse, Jesus actually says, I have deprived the world of its power to harm you. How's that for good news? And so when we read that verse, if, if, you're, coming with a, with a, if you're coming with an attitude of, oh, things are getting bad, it's going to be so bad, we're just hanging on. You read that verse and all you see is, in this world you will have trouble. And Jesus bookended that verse. He said, you'll have trouble in the world, but... You're going to have peace on one side. And then at the end of the verse, he says, I've overcome the world. There's something we can do about it. We, we don't have to settle for seeing the world run roughshod over people's lives. Jesus gave us the power and the authority to change something. Come on, think about it for a second. People flocked to Jesus because he had the power to change things that were going badly. Why, why did they go see Jesus? Oh, I'm blind. I want to see. There's something bad in my life, but Jesus, when I I get around Jesus, things get better. He changes something in my circumstance. Blind people begin to see. People who are hungry get fed. People who are in poverty find like, oh, there is abundance in the house of the Father. All these things, when, when people got around Jesus, it changed things that were going wrong. The devil's been running roughshod over my life. I have an encounter with Jesus. Boom, oppression is gone. He came to set captives free. Things get better when Jesus is around. That's part of what we do at New Life Fellowship. We help people encounter Jesus. 
No matter what you're going through in life, you have an encounter with Jesus. He can change things forever. But somehow, in, in a lot of circles, the powerful message of Jesus to change what's wrong in the world has turned into, well, we're just hanging on, just protecting our stuff because everything, the world around us is on the, the express route to hell. Come on. Isn't that what you hear some places? It's getting so bad out there, but thank Jesus we've got the truth. Jesus gave us the power to do something about it. And I'm going to say this. I don't think that people who are without Jesus should be more hopeful about the future than Christians. Come on. Can I say that one more time? That, that, that should be a good amen point. I don't think that people without Jesus, if they don't know Jesus, they shouldn't have more optimism about the future than the people in the church who know Jesus. Come on. There, there should be something about our confession that's attractive to people. Hey, Jesus can change your life. He can take that circumstance you're going through and completely turn around. He has the power to do it. Please don't let that ever be our reputation with the world. That, that oh man, because I, I have met people in the world. They are excited about the future. They look at the future and they say, man, things are getting better. I'm optimistic. You know, there's improvements happening. Life is being extended. All these different things. The people in the world are that way. Why shouldn't the people in the church be at least as optimistic? Because we know Jesus. Come on. Think for a second about this. Where do we generally get our outlook on life from? Do you ever stop and, and process that for a second? Because we all have a paradigm of how we see things, what we expect, how we view things, what we look for when we go places. Where do we get things? Where does our, our outlook come from? What shapes it? I, I think there's three main things, and, and you could probably come up with a bigger list, but I think they would maybe filter down to at least these three. Uh, number one, I think, is what we read and watch. Come on, the news that we take in. How many of you have your favorite news channels that you watch? You know, maybe, maybe you're a CNN guy, or maybe you're a Fox News guy, maybe you're local news, you don't like those national guys. We all have a place that we go, or maybe you're just an online person. You know, I, don't, I don't even know where, what's fake news and what's not. I don't, I don't even know where we go, but that is one thing. We all have a place where we go to say, what's happening in the world? What, I'm taking in all these reports to see what's going on in my world. Then, then we have friends. How many of us know our outlook is shaped by our friends? Hey, what, let me tell you what I went through, Steve. Oh, blah, 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 blah. You know, those, those people at, at I don't want to slam any local businesses. Those, those people at Giant Eagle, they were so slow and they, they were rude to me. All of a sudden, Steve's like, well, that's Giant Eagle. That's a bad place to go. I'm not going there. His outlook was just shaped by an encounter with his friend and me carrying a report about something. Our friends shape our outlook. And then the third thing I think that shapes our outlook is really just our personal experiences. That's probably the biggest factor of all of them. What, what have you gone through? That shapes your outlook on life, what you're expecting about the future. And I want to tell you, out of all those strings, the, the news, the, the people around us, our friends, and, and even our own personal experiences, they can't be trusted. What do you mean, Pastor Chris? I, I was there. I went through that circumstance. It can't be trusted. Let me, t- let me tell you why you can't trust those things. What type of news sells the most? That's amazing. You all said the same answer. Most often, bad news is the news that sells. Come on, we, we, could, we could go turn on Channel 11. We'll keep it local. We, we see a news report. They, they lead off the newscast. Two people got shot last night in Sheridan. You know, like 
20 seconds they talk about. Maybe they show you the outside of a house in Sheridan. And then, you know, just, just a second later, the next commercial break, they come back and they do five whole minutes on how there's people building shelters for the homeless. And they're, they're giving food and, and they're really making a difference in the community. 30 seconds on the shootings, five minutes on the good that's being done in the community. What do people talk about later? Hey, did you hear there were two shootings last night in Sheridan? <laughs> Come on. For some reason, I don't know why, but that's just the way a lot of people are wired. The bad news is what sells. And if, if, come on, cause I guarantee you, if those two stories were on the news, there are more people involved in building shelters for the homeless. There were more people involved in making a difference in that story. And in fact, even in the story of the shooting, hey, two people got shot. That's a tragedy. I don't, I'm not downplaying that at all. But there were hundreds and hundreds of people that were at home minding their own business, loving their families, and didn't shoot anybody last night. Come on. If, if we look with the right paradigm, we see the good that's happening, and we see the kingdom of God making a difference in the world. You can't trust the news. Whether it's fake or real, it, it can't be trusted because bad news is what sells. I, I guarantee if, if you go, if you go for a week or a month here, like, like, we'll say this later, if you want to fast something for Lent, how about fasting watching the news for a month and see how your outlook on life changes? I'm not saying bury your head in the sand, don't know what's going on in your community, but, but fast hearing bad reports and taking that into ourselves. I don't think uh, we can trust what others tell us because they've got their own outlook and experiences that shape them. Have, have you ever hung out with Eeyore? Again, maybe, maybe my, come on, Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore, his little donkey friend. Have you ever hung out with Eeyore? You know who I mean. We all have somebody like that in our lives. You get around them and it's constantly, well, I knew that was going to happen. Uh, I got a, got a new job, but I'll probably get fired next week. And yeah, we're, we're trying to move, but nothing's ever going to work. How many of you know that person? How many of you love hanging out with that person? Usually it's like, oh, here he comes. We're, we're gonna, you know, you're telling your wife, hey, call me in 10 minutes because he's coming to talk to me. Nobody likes to be around Eeyore. And how do you feel afterwards after that encounter? You're, you leave that encounter thinking, oh, man, what bad's going to happen to me now? Like this. Come on, we, we know people like that. And you can't trust others to shape your outlook on life because of their biases and the things they've gone through. You can't trust people. Well, why can't I trust myself then? Why can't I trust myself to shape my own outlook? Our 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 experiences, our outlook, what we've personally gone through is limited by, by time and geography. Can I see a show of hands if you were alive in the 12th century and lived in Europe? I know we, we, have, we have some older people in the room, but nobody that old, right? Come on. Nobody lived through what it was like back then. So you don't know... From, from a personal, first-hand experience, whether life was better right now than it was then or not. We'll actually talk about that over the next few weeks, that this is the best time to be alive. No, every, everybody always asks me, Pastor Chris, wouldn't you have loved to live some other time in the past, maybe when Jesus was walking? No, pretty much any time before now was bad. And I, and I think there will probably be some point in the future where people look back and, oh, those poor people that lived through 2017. It was so bad back then. 
Our, our experiences are limited. You know, our, my personal experiences with life started when I was born. I didn't experience anything before that. My, my personal experiences are kind of limited to the places where I've lived and traveled. Yeah, I can't tell you what it's like to actually live in Russia. I've never been there. I can tell you a little bit about Kenya or Tanzania or some of those places because I've traveled. I can tell you a lot about Pittsburgh and Virginia, but that's, that's about it. Because our, our personal experiences are limited, so they can't be trusted to inform our outlook about the future. Where should we be getting our outlook about the future? This is, this is church, so you can actually give the church answer right here. We, we should be getting our outlook about the future from the Bible. The, what, what does the Bible promise us? What does it say is going to happen in the future? This book can be trusted more than the news stations, more than your friends' experiences, and more than your own personal experiences. This is the truth. This is the Word of God. It is the promises about what Jesus has done, how it affects us, and what's going to happen in the future. And if, we're, if we are allowing anything other than this to shape our outlook, we need to go back and adjust our outlook. It's not the other way around. We're, we're not going to adjust any, We are going to adjust ourselves because the problem is never here. Amen? So today, since our outlook should come from the Bible, just, just as kind of a foundation for the series that we're going to go through here in March, I just want to read a couple verses about what the Bible says is going to happen in the future. And, and just food for thought. Let it begin to work on us. Let us meditate on them. Let it change and affect our thinking a little bit. Uh, the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about why our outlook matters. We'll, we'll even look at some data. Any, any nerds in the church? We're going to look at some data to see, has stuff? Yeah, my son-in-law just said, yes, yes, show me numbers, show me charts, show me graphs. I won't go too much into that. But, but we will actually look at some things. Is there evidence have things, has the kingdom of God really been impacting the world like Jesus said it would? Has the cross made a difference? But today, just a couple verses. One of my favorite verses, you've probably heard me quote this several times if you've been around for any length of time. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7 uh, is a promise that we often read during the Christmas season. I don't know how it got attached to Christmas specifically, but it's not just for Christmas. It says this in verse 7 of chapter 9 in Isaiah, of the increase, everybody say increase, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Everybody say no end. So those two things that we just said out loud together, they go together. The increase will not end. He says, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is talking about what Jesus did when he came. When it says from that time on and forever, what time is he talking about? He was talking about when Jesus came, was born in a manger, walked on this earth, died on the cross, and resurrected. He established something at that time that lasts forever, and the increase of it never ends. His government and his peace are unending. The increase of those things is unending. They, it's not just the government and the peace themselves, but the fact that they are increasing in the world from the time that Jesus released them. And it's not our hard work that produces it. It says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
There's, there's one translation, I think it's the NLT, says the passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty will guarantee this. Come on, how's that for a guarantee? I, I can guarantee you some things, and they may or may not happen, but when God gets involved, and the Lord Almighty guarantees it because he is passionately committed to seeing it happen, that's a whole other ballgame right there. If the government of God and his peace have increased more today than yesterday, I would say by definition that means things are better. If, if, if that promise in Isaiah is true, and from the moment Jesus came on this earth, if the government and peace of God had been continually expanding and increasing, then things are better now than they ever were. Here's another verse, Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, if you remember the prophet Isaiah, he had this vision where he got taken to heaven. And, and if you read through chapter 5, he'd been going around saying, woe to the earth, woe to the nation of Israel, woe, woe, woe. Like all these things he's seeing in the earth. And he has this vision of heaven. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, he sees these angels. And it says, they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Think about that for a second. The whole earth. Where do we live? Yeah, thank you. If, if you didn't answer that one, we got other issues to counsel you about. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let me ask you a second question. Is there lying in heaven? All right. No, that was good. You guys are really good. You all went to Sunday school when you were little and learned that. There's no lying in heaven. So if, the, if Isaiah has this vision and he sees angels confessing this, the whole earth is full of the Lord's glory, that means that is a true statement because there is no lying in heaven. And, and he's backing up. He, he's actually, the angels are coming into agreement. If you read back earlier in Numbers chapter 14, God promises, he says, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. It, the whole earth is full of his glory. That's the truth of the word. So if we aren't seeing his glory when we look at the earth, what needs to be adjusted? Our looking. The way we are looking, what we are looking at, what we are expecting to see. If we aren't seeing the glory of the Lord, then we need to adjust how we're looking. God's word is true whether we see it in our circumstances or not. Our job, I believe this, our job is to make his glory known to the world. To be ones that, that, that so impact the world around us with the authority and the power of the name of Jesus that the world begins to see it. If you, if you ever uh, did a little study on vision or, or, or looking at what's important, uh, you probably read the book of Habakkuk. In chapter 2, if you remember, it says, write the vision down so people can run with it. How many of you have ever heard that verse? Like, like that's one that we always go to, you know, write that vision down. And we, we use it at church meetings. Hey, we've got to come up with a church vision, and we're going to write it down so we can post it on a wall in the foyer and nobody can ever look at it. That's not really what happens at some places. But he says, write the vision down. We get all excited about it. What vision was he talking about? When, when God's telling Habakkuk, write the vision down so the people can run with it, he actually tells them, here is the vision that I want you to have before the people. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14, it says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what God is after. 
That is part of the vision he has, is I want the whole earth, not, not just to be filled with the glory, because it already is. I want it to be filled with the knowledge of the glory. I want people to be aware of what I have done and what is at work in the kingdom that I have established. And that's part of where our job comes in. When you share a testimony or you just tell somebody, here's how good God's been to me. Do you know that increases the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? Because people begin to see him and they begin to become aware of, oh, he's alive. He's, he's active. He's doing stuff. And when, when you share that, when you share the story of what God has done in your life, it dismantles the enemy's work and it reveals the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And that's what he's after for us to do. When more of God's glory is revealed to the world, things are getting better because people become aware of him. Just a couple verses, and then we're going to close this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, uh, Jesus was talking in parables. He, he just talked about a mustard seed that you could plant in the ground, being like the kingdom that would grow and fill the whole earth like a tree. But in Matthew chapter 13, it says, he's, in verse 33, he told them still another parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through all of the dough. The yeast of the kingdom. How many of you know what yeast does? Leaven, yeast. All my bakers in the room are like, yes. Does anybody actually have a little jar of yeast in their cupboard or pantry somewhere? No. Man, that's awesome. Hardly anybody bakes bread from scratch anymore. But that's what yeast does. You've got this little lump of dough right here, and you put some yeast into it or some leaven, and it causes the dough to expand and rise. Once, once you put it in there, you can't get it back out. Anybody ever tried that? Like, oh, I'm going to dump this yeast in there, and I'm going to try to pick it back out later. It doesn't work. It's, it gets released into the lump, and it influences that whole lump of dough to be changed, to be transformed. There were times in Scripture when, when Jesus, and even in the Old Testament, when they looked at yeast as, hey, we've got to get the yeast of the world out of our lives because it can affect everything. And Jesus turns that paradigm on, on the other side of the coin. The world's yeast is bad, but he says the kingdom that he released through the work of the cross and his resurrection is just like that yeast that works through the whole lump of dough and affects everything. And from the time that Jesus came on the cross, he released the yeast of the kingdom into this world. And an interesting thing that, that I never... Man, my, my slides aren't keeping up with me. Where's that verse? There it is. Uh, it says, A woman took and mixed a large amount of it. I believe that, that woman is a picture of the church, the bride of Christ. And we are taking the yeast of the kingdom that Jesus has released and we're working it through the entire lump of dough. We are, we are causing transformation to come into the world because of what Jesus gave us the authority to do. Come on, in, in Matthew 16, he told his disciples, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. And too many of us, we're, we're waiting around for something else to happen and we need to be using the authority that Jesus gave us to transform the world. It's, the kingdom is a, is a tree that grows from a mustard seed. It's a mountain that grows to fill the whole earth and the nations stream to it. There is something. If the kingdom has expanded more today than it was yesterday, things are getting better. This is the last verse I'm going to read and then we'll go today. Uh, one, one final verse and then maybe a question first. Do you believe that God answers prayer? Man, show of hands. Come on, let's, we'll, we'll do some stretches because you've been sitting a while. Everybody in the room is waving at me. We believe that God answers prayer. 
So 2,000 years ago, Jesus responded to his disciples when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. You remember this conversation. And what did Jesus tell them? He starts out, he says, this is how you should pray. Matthew 6, verse 9 and 10. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on where? Earth, just as it is in heaven. Do you think anybody... After Jesus had that little lesson and taught them to pray, do you think anybody has been praying this prayer? Yes. And, and for those, those of my friends here that grew up Catholic, you're like a bazillion times. Like, oh, I, had, I was so bad when I was a kid, I had to do like 480 Our Fathers and a couple here on my own. Somebody has been praying this prayer. The church has been praying for the will of God, just as it is in heaven, to come here on the earth for 2,000 years now. You all said God answers prayer. Do you think something that is going on in heaven has come here on the earth in 2,000 years of praying that prayer? If, if God is a God that answers prayer, and we've been praying that prayer for 2,000 years, I think something has happened that has transformed the world and that things are better now in response to that prayer than they were when we started. we we got to get a hold of being optimistic about Jesus really can make a difference now. He really can transform things. When, when Jesus said to pray for his kingdom to come, he, he was really telling the disciples the, the rule and the reign, the, the manifestation of the authority of Jesus in heaven, that's what we want to see happen on the earth. What happens? What, what benefits when God's kingdom comes here on the earth? Everything, peace, joy, love. How many of you think life happens? Life, life is lengthened. The quality of life. Anything that has to do with life. Because God is all about life. I believe when his kingdom comes, life is promoted. Life is expanded. We're going to look at what's been happening with that. When, when, when we pray for his kingdom to come, do you think families benefit? Do you think marriages and relationships prosper? Do you think uh, wars go down and people get along better? Do you think that happens when the kingdom comes? Do you think our health improves? Man, if, if, the, if the will of God in heaven was not for health, then Jesus really missed it when he went around healing all of their diseases. Come on. That, that was one thing that was true everywhere that Jesus went. People got healed. If, if there are things that are promoting health, I believe that's the kingdom of God manifesting. Righteousness, prosperity, peace, joy, all those things. When we pray for the kingdom to come, those things increase. And that's what we're going to look at the next couple of weeks. Have those things really been prospering as we've been praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Have things been getting better in response to what Jesus released into the earth. So a takeaway from today. What, what do I want you guys to do before next week, even before we, we get into March and the rest of this series? I want you to look for reports that show God's kingdom expanding in the world. I don't know where you normally get your news or where you normally look at or, or what you think is happening in the world, but I want you to be intentional about, Lord, I want to see where you're at work. What, what are you doing in the world? You know, some, of, some of us, we think, oh, it's so bad. You know, we're living here in the United States. Disney just had a gay character in their movie. Oh, I can't go. It's so bad. The Holy Spirit's work will not be stopped. Okay? The, I, 
how many of you know Ravi Zacharias, this great Christian apologetics lecturer? He, he says the, the work of the Holy Spirit and the, the transforming power of the gospel is like a bird that sings. He says the, bird, the song of the bird can never be silenced. He says sometimes it may fly and land on another branch away from where you are, and you can't hear him singing or see it, but that doesn't mean he stops singing. As we go through the series, we're going to look at there. There is revival happening around the world. There are people getting saved like you wouldn't even imagine. You never hear any of it in the news, but it's happening. So I want, I want you to begin to look for where is Jesus at work? What's happening? And, and I was serious. I would like us to fast for Lent. I, I would like us to fast complaining about the culture. I would like us to fast negativity. I, I would like us to fast giving the devil credit for something that he's not really powerful enough to do. Anybody, anybody else want to fast for Lent? I, th- I think those would be good things. I'm not asking you to give up cherry pie. I'm not asking you to s- stop going to five guys. Like, really, can we fast negativity? Can we fast complaining about what's going on in the world around us? Let's go ahead and stand. And, and I want to end today. We, we don't do this often uh, in our context, but maybe we should. I want to end today by praying the Lord's Prayer together. And as we pray through it, I want us to really focus on, Lord, let your, your kingdom come. Let your will be done. So whatever, whatever circumstance you're going through, when we were singing this morning, if you're thinking, God, I need to see your glory in some situation, whatever circumstance you're in, as we pray this prayer together, believe that God's kingdom is going to come in the middle of your circumstances. Because his, he really has the kingdom and the power and the glory. They belong to him. So let's go ahead and put it up on the screen, Daniel. Next to the last slide. All right. You guys okay with doing this together? Amen. Let's, let's pray this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we claim those verses. Lord, in response to that prayer, we believe that you have been at work in the world. And God, our desire is to become more aware of what you're doing. To come into agreement, Lord. Even as all the promises of Christ are yes, It says, through you, we declare the amen. So, Lord, we want to see where you're at work so that we can say, yes, Lord, so be it. Let it come even more, Lord Jesus. Lord, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let us see the goodness of God transform situations to bring life and hope and peace, Lord. We just declare that we love you, Jesus. We ask that as we leave this place, let us leave with hope in our step, Lord God, knowing that you are with us and you are more powerful than any enemy that could ever raise itself up against you. We thank you for the victory that you accomplished through your life, death, and resurrection. And we say to God be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.